Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Lori Boyer. Today, I introduce to you Carl Coleman. He is a farmer in South Carolina and is one of two of the National Association of Conservation Districts Soil Health Champions. We'll be talking more about what that means in a little bit. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. But Carl, tell us more about your background in agriculture and what you do as far as your operation there in South Carolina. So I am a third generational farmer. My granddad started a farm with my dad and then me and my son and I farmed for 36 years. And uh, we kind of got into the seed business by accident. It all had to do with cover crops. And after my 36 year farming, our seed business kind of started growing and I started running the seed business full time and my son started doing the farming full time. So that's kind of where I came from and where I'm at. Tell me more about your seed business. What is that, Carl? Our seed business kind of derived from cover crop. We went and met some farmers up in North Carolina. We really liked what we saw. We came back, we ordered seed, kind of excited about it, didn't even ask the price. We got you know, we got it planted. We really liked it. Uh, we were in the EQIP program with NRCS. And uh, I got the bill. And the program payment was $75. And my seed was $74.95. Basically, they priced my seed according to the program. We really liked what we were doing, but uh, we couldn't afford to do it. So we started sourcing our own seed. We built our own blender. Something that started absolutely just for us. Neighbors heard what we were doing. Can you help us? One thing led to the other. And then Little Mill Seed was born. And uh, again, had no intentions of being full time. Uh, One thing led to the other, led to the other. Carl, I mentioned earlier that you were in South Carolina, but I didn't mention a town. So you were in Dillon, South Carolina. Is that where you grew up as well? It is. Grew up here. Met my bride only about 30 miles away, turned her into a country girl, and been here my whole life. And when you say cover crop seed, what kind of crops? Like rye or what kind of crops? So it all started out with winter. Rye, triticale, clover, vetch, radish, rapeseed, peas, all winter. But we've evolved since, and we do summer covers as well as winter covers. And I think that You know, part of our success has been my experience as a farmer and in our seed business probably sounds kind of corny, but we try to look at everything from the farmer's perspective. Anything that we do, anything that we offer, if I don't feel good about it as a farmer, we don't do it. And that's how we approach it. That's how we approach cover crops. And I think there's been a lot of disservice done with the cover crop business, per se. And I only mean that, that people try to put it in a one-size-fits-all, and that could not be further than the truth. We do things differently when it comes to that, and, and that's really helped us grow in the cover crop side. What all do you grow as far as the farming side, Carl? So on the farming side, corn, soybeans, wheat, those are the three predominant, but we also in the area have a lot of cotton, peanuts, 
tobacco, still a little bit of tobacco being grown, things of that nature. Livestock? We don't have any livestock. We used to a long time ago, and I learned very quickly that if we couldn't cut it off with a key, I didn't want it because I had to work every weekend, and that wasn't any fun especially when you're young. So when we got out the hog business, uh, I've had zero desire to have any livestock. So are you primarily dry land or do you have irrigated farming as well? We're all dry land. Matter of fact, I would say our county as a whole, we're probably 95% dry land, 5% irrigated. Do you have an aquifer or anything like that around you? Well, we do. We don't have to go very deep for our water here. It's just the reason we don't have a lot of irrigation is irregular shaped fields. We don't have these big square openings. The average field size in our county is 13 acres. Now, certainly we have bigger fields, but we also have smaller fields. Some fields are acre, acre and a half. We may have a 50 acre field, but irregular shaped fields, farms being cut up. That's the reason you don't have a lot of irrigation. That is an interesting point. I'm glad you mentioned that. How many acres do you farm altogether then on your farm? Probably about 800. Is that a typical size? For I would say that's probably maybe a little bit on the small side. We have a lot of family farms. And what I mean by that is there's a bunch of, you know, people involved. And the bigger you are, the more acres you need. So, you know, I think for a single person such as my son, 800 acres is a pretty good place. But when me and my brother and my dad farm together, We had almost 3,000 acres. You know, again, it's all about how many people you have living out of the operation and how big you need to be to, to sustain that. Carl, that gives me a better feel as to why conservation is so important to you and your farm. How did you get involved in the National Association of Conservation Districts Soil Health Champion Program? And then we'll talk more about that program as well. I've always known about it, but I had an opportunity to to become a um, a commissioner for our conservation district, I guess, 15 years ago, maybe. I got involved in our local district as a commissioner and, you know, just going to meetings. I, I had an opportunity to hear Ray Archuleta speak at a meeting that we had our state meeting. And I tell you, he's a dynamic speaker. If you've never heard him, he just really got me excited about the possibilities of of cover crop and what they can do. And our biggest factors, our limiting factor here is water. Even though we get probably 50 inches a year, we don't have any water holding capacity. Our soils are sandy loam. We like to tell people, and it's the truth, we're two weeks away from a drought, no matter how wet we are. We had, I think, 17 inches of rain from a hurricane. We had massive flooding everywhere, historic flooding, thousand-year floods, what they called it thousand year rain. And literally in three weeks, our land was hard as a brick because of all that, all of the the water, it all dried up. It made it just really hard. So our limiting factor is is water. So anything we can do to conserve moisture, maybe to improve our soil tilt, that is going to help us get through those dry spells better and hopefully uh, make a better yield. What are the weather patterns like in your area there in South Carolina? We don't have crazy cold. Uh, you know, when we get in the 20s, that's really cold for us. And we may be a, 100 degrees in the summertime with crazy high humidity. But we grow crops 12 months out of the year. We always have something growing, whether it's winter wheat, winter canola, oats, whatever a winter crop could be. And then spring crops being cotton, soybeans, corn, things of that nature. But we literally grow crops 12 months out of the year. And then going back to 
how you got involved in your conservation district and what is what is the name of your local conservation district? The Dillon Soil and Water Conservation District. Every county in the United States has a soil and water district. And that's what I got involved in. Again, saw uh, Ray had the we had the meeting where Ray spoke. I learned that there were some guys in North Carolina that were doing some of what Ray talked about because they had met him a year earlier. And uh, we went to go see them, took about an hour, hour and a half drive to go see them. Really liked what we saw. Me and a few farmers came back and tried to implement some of those same practices on our farm and have really seen some tremendous uh, results of that. Perfect lead in there. Tell me what some of those things are, if you don't mind. So some of the one of the biggest things that we've always been told in the southeast. So we have sandy loam soils. We're very hot and we're humid. So we've been told for years that you cannot increase organic matter in your soils if you're hot and humid with a sandy soil. And we've seen that. We no-tilled for 20 years and we never increased organic matter. But when we started adding cover crop, we've seen our organic matter start to rise. Organic matter, you know, has nutrients in it. It helps with your water holding capacity. And some of the biggest changes we've seen is as we increase our organic matter, it also is increasing the tilt of our soil. And they don't get as hard as they used to. We used to get a rain and it, it would just make the top of the ground as hard as it could be. Now it's a lot more loamy. It's, it's a lot softer. The plants can emerge better. We're doing a better job of nutrient recycling. Some of my customers and friends have fundamentally changed the way they farm because of cover crops. And that's exciting. You know, that's exciting that that you aren't just adding another expense to the bottom line is we're taking cover crops, which are an added expense, but we're cutting things and we're reducing other inputs by vast, you know, way over what our input costs are. And we're saving a lot of money and we're seeing more consistent yields. Carl, as I'm listening to your story, I can certainly see how your journey has led you to being a soil health champion for the National Association of Conservation Districts. Let's talk more about what that program is now. Because I was a soil and water commissioner, when they decided to do the soil health champion, I think they tried to look at the states and try to figure out who's been doing what longer. And I work with Dr. Buzz Clue. So Buzz is a professor at the University of South Carolina. He has zero agricultural background, but he's what I would call a videographer. So he has done videos for NRCS. He had met Buzz. He had met Gabe Brown. He had met a bunch of the guys in the movement. And he had a fundamental understanding of soil health, but again, no ag background, which I think is a good thing because he doesn't have any preconceived notions. So sometimes when we have a background in something, we tend to go into something saying, well, I know how A, B, and C works. So you're not looking at that. Well, well, he did. And he asked a lot of questions that made us rethink a lot of things. For instance, he came out one day and one of my friends was putting out liquid nitrogen, which is a fertilizer, to his cotton. And of course, we do that to help it grow, to help it set fruit, to help it make. The next time he came out, Buzz said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm putting picks on. He said, well, what's picks? He said, well, picks is something to slow your cotton down. 
He said, well, the last time I was here, you were putting fertilizer to speed it up. Now you're putting something to slow it down. And the guy said, he just sat there and thought about that. And he said, you know, kind of like a seesaw. You know, you're going one direction, then you're going up, you're going down. And what we've learned is that we were really kind of using too much nitrogen, which was making the plant accelerate maybe too fast. And we're having to do something to slow it down. I kind of like to call it a treadmill. You know, you're on the treadmill, you're running, you're running, you're running. As long as you keep running, you're kind of going to be okay. But, you know, with cover crops, I think we tend to jump off that treadmill some and kind of coast and maybe let nature take its course a little bit more instead of us trying to do everything, us trying to fight and to do and to push. And then something gets out of whack and then you're doing something else. And again, I think Buzz, being a scientist, he was asked to go speak at a bunch of different soil health meetings. Well, because I was a farmer, you know, working with him. He helped us get some SIG grants. SIG is a conservation innovative grant from NRCS. He helped us study about what cover crops are really helping us do. He said, Carl, how about come to the meeting with me? You can be the farmer. I'll be the scientist. And we'll talk about your point of view, my point of view, and try to get that across to our audience, which mostly is farmers. And it worked really well. Buzz being the intellectual he is, I mean, he's just a really smart guy. He would kind of get off on a you know, he was like he was talking to scientists. And sometimes I just stop him. I said, wait a minute. I said, I know everybody in this room understood what you just said, except me. How about explain it to me? So he'd kind of tone it down some, get it back more in layman's terms. And uh, he told me the other day, he said, I was going back some of my presentations that I did maybe, you know, five or 10 years ago. And he said, that was some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. He said, I was, you know, kind of talking over everybody's head when it's really very simple. So we kind of help each other. You know, he he taught me a lot. I think I was able to help him maybe understand some fundamentals of farming. I learned a lot from him, vice versa. And we made a really good speaking pair. He kind of could explain what was going on, you know, in a more detailed manner. And I kind of understood a lot of things I was seeing on a farmer level and maybe bring all that to a central understanding. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. Can you explain to me now then what exactly the Soil Health Champion program is and what its goal is and what you do? That is a program that they picked two farmers from every state. They gave them that designation. And what we try to do is, is to talk about conservation. Maybe it's to our districts, at meetings, at anything that we can do. And they try to promote those two people in each state as if someone needs to talk about, you know, what, how do I get involved with cover crops? Um, what can I do? How can I do it? And the, the Soil Health Champions are, are kind of like a resource. You have to agree to do it. If they call on you, you know, if, if your schedule allows, you know, you try to help them with that. There's no payment for it. There's no, you know, other than being recognized as a Soil Health Champion. But Again, th th those are just people in each state 
that the you know the state recognizes as maybe guys that are doing conservation and are willing to talk about that and willing to share their story with other people. That's kind of what I get. Maybe there's a different definition, but that's what I've gotten out of it. And that's what I try to do. And I think I kind of bring a, a unique perspective is I've been on the farming side of this and the seed side. So I kind of bring both sides of that, which are both are very important. It's hard to do the farming side of it if you don't have, if you don't know where to get the seed, what kind of seed to get, or what the best mixture is, and things like that. So if I'm understanding you clearly, you are a representative of soil health, and you go to different meetings or places, as I mentioned, you and I met up at Commodity Classic the first time. And you just share your story and answer questions and encourage other producers to look at conservation, farming, and soil health? You should have said that, and I wouldn't have had to say, it, say everything. But in other words, instead of it coming from an NRCS employee, right, or you know what I'm saying, or whoever, it's a way that maybe a farmer who is interested maybe can relate to a soil health champion because they're farmers, they are, they're people who have done it. And it's a way to relate that information to them, help them if they want to learn more about it and try to, you know, explain. And it's not all good. You're explaining bad things. We've had a lot of failures and I enjoy sharing those because if I can help someone not make a mistake, not go through what I've gone through, they're going to get to a better solution, a, a better place quicker. We share our success and our failures in order to help people. Your personal story. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And people relate to that. And then that draws interest. I think it's a a great program. Did you have to apply for it or anything or how did you? No, no, it was again, they, we were chosen. We were chosen. I'm not sure what the criteria is. The the other guy, Jason Carter, he is our other soil health champion in South Carolina. Jason's been doing cover crops maybe a little bit longer than I have. He's young. He's very enthusiastic. He's fundamentally changed the way he farms. And I think they chose people who, you know, maybe we were in the programs early. Maybe they heard us speak at a meeting, whatever it was. I'm not sure exactly what the process was, but I do know that Jason has been involved in a lot of things. Again, I've done a lot of speaking at meetings and trying to help people before I was ever chosen as that. So I'm assuming they kind of look at the, they try to look and see maybe who's maybe a little bit more outgoing or, or doesn't mind speaking in front of people or, or sharing their story. I would say those are probably the guys that probably get chosen would be my guess. Carl, what kinds of questions do you get asked when you're out and about? Well, I think a lot of it is, is uh, you know, how do you have time to do all this? In other words, everybody looks at cover crop as another trip across the field, another expense, another this, that, and the other thing. Maybe they're interested but they're trying to figure out how do they make it pay? How do I do it to where it's making me money? And that's what we like to share with guys is it's not just planting cover crops and keep doing everything that you've always done. Um, it's about planting cover crops and start changing things and trying to look at things differently. And that's what we try to share. I had a guy come up to me in, in Florida and he said, well, I just can't deal with that much biomass. He said, I can't plant through it. I can't do it. And I was able to share with him some different options that you can continue to plant cover crops, but don't use rye, maybe use triticale. 
that's where I was going with what we try to help people as a business. When I get a phone call from a customer and he says, listen, I want to plant cover crop. I just don't say, you know what? I got exactly what you need. That's where I think a disservice has been. We have about a 30 to 45 minute conversation about when is he going to plant? How is he going to plant? What is his next crop? How much biomass can he handle? And we talk about all these different things. And then we work him up a blend that is very specific to his needs. We built over 100 different blends last fall because everybody is different. And a lot of times that is the reason people give up on cover crop. They go to a dealer. Yep, I got exactly what you need without ever asking a question. They plan it and it's a failure. And they say, I'm never going to do it again. I tried it, it didn't work, and I'm done. And that's what happens a lot. So what I try to do, whether I'm as a soil health champion, maybe I'm there, that's what I was doing representing with the NACD, or if I'm at a a meeting as a dealer, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to approach it the same way and talk to guys about, you know, what are their goals? What do they want to do? And we're going to have a long conversation about that. And we're going to make something that fits in their budget that'll work for them. And then next year, nine times out of 10, I get a phone call back from that guy. And he says, you know what? I really liked A, B, C, and D, but I did not like E. And we'll tweak it. We'll tweak what he didn't like. We'll take it out. We'll adjust it. And we'll make that his mix to where he can use it in a successful manner. And I think that's the key to this whole thing is it's so variable, whether it's the fundamentals work, I don't care where you are. That's what I thought to begin with. I said, yeah, sure, Gabe Brown can do that in in the Midwest, what we can't do in the Southeast. Well, that's not true. Fundamentals work anywhere. But what you do have to figure out is what works for you. That's the key. And that's what we try to do. Whether Again, whether I'm, I'm, I'm talking as a soil health champion or whether I'm talking to a customer and we're trying to help him figure out a blend, that you already have, and maybe it works or maybe it doesn't. Uh, that, that, that's what I try to do. Carl, I've been trying to figure out exactly where to ask you this in our conversation, but how do you define soil health? What is it exactly? You know, that's a great question. And the simplest thing that I can tell, I used to struggle with that. And guys said, you know, what, what, how do I know if I've got a healthy soil? And I'm going to give props to Mr. Archuleta. He said, you know what? I can tell you if you've got a healthy soil in five minutes, it's going to take me four minutes to walk out in the field. He said, if I take a shovel and I roll your dirt over and I don't see an earthworm, you do not have a healthy soil. He said, if your soil is not healthy enough to support an earthworm that you can see, it's not healthy enough to support microbes and the other, you know, things that we cannot see. And I tell you, we were doing we were doing no till on our farm for 20 years. I never once saw an earthworm in my field. We planted our very first cover crop. We were planting corn into that cover crop, and I was scratching down trying to find the corn seed, making sure it was spaced right and making sure it's the right depth. There were worms everywhere, and I'd never seen that. And I called Buzz. I was excited. I said, "Where in the world did this thing come from?" He didn't know, but again. In one year, I went from never seeing an earthworm to seeing one. But to finish the story, I didn't change anything I was doing. 
So I went out there and I put my fertilizer and my pyrethroid like I always had done two weeks later. I went out there three weeks later digging and I could not find one earthworm. And I had destroyed everything I had accomplished in that winter in one application. So what we learned is we didn't need that pyrethroid application. We had always done it because we had always done it. You know, so because I'm trying to promote soil health on my farm, I'm changing the way that I do things. I'm really questioning, do I need a pyrethroid or am I just doing it because I've always done it? And, you know, do I need to put all my fertilizer out at one time? Do I need to stagger it? What do I need to do? But again, what is soil health? Soil health is visually, do you have earthworms? If you don't, you probably don't have microbes. Your soil biology is probably not where it needs to be. If you do have earthworms, you are supporting them, then you probably have a pretty good soil biology. But that's kind of the simplest explanation I can give you about soil health and how do you define that. The rest of the answer to that is if you do have earthworms, you do have a lot of microbes, then you start to recirculate, you start to use nutrients that are in our soils that I think are not plant available. I heard a podcast one time, a guy said, the simplest thing I can tell you about a microbe is a lot of fertilizer are like in rock form, and they're not plant available. They're in the soil, but they're not plant available. He said a microbe can eat a rock, poop it out, and make it plant available. And he said, that's what's happening. He said, when you have a healthy soil, microbes are doing the work that a plant cannot. So without that healthy soil, You're having to synthetically put fertilizer there every year to have enough available for the plant. But if you're using, you know, soil health, if you're trying to promote soil health and you're using things to do that, we get a recycling going on that your beneficial microbes will make things available that weren't necessarily available before. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yes, it does. Thank you. That was a great explanation. I want to go back on a soil health program for just a moment or soil health champion program for just a moment. How long are you a soil health champion? What's the duration? Undoubtedly, it's to infinity because I've been, me and Jason have been the only two that I know of. I do think, I mean, just just probably it'd be a good idea that you did have somebody and then maybe you get somebody younger and excited. You know what I mean? It's probably good to to move that around some, but to my knowledge, you know, I guess once you're chosen and, and you're doing what you need to do, I guess that's you get to hold that that mantle until it gets until you expire, I guess. It's indefinite. <laughs> Carl, what are some goals for what else do you want to do with your farm or your seed business? What are future goals or changes you want to incorporate? Whether it's the farm or our seed business, it's just promoting soil health to people who want to hear about it. I think that the one thing that I've learned as I've gotten older, when I first started doing this about soil health, I wanted to tell everybody. And if a guy isn't open to it, you might as well be talking to the wall. And what I want to do is anybody who's interested, I love to share the story, not if it's just my story, but a lot of my customers who have fundamentally changed the way they farm. And what I mean by that is, They're literally, they're not having to apply lime every year like they used to. They've cut back on their phosphorus, their potassium. They're seeing less weed pressure. They have literally fundamentally changed the way they farm to an extent that it's made them more profitable. I like to share that story with guys. You know, I'm not just trying to sell you something for the sake of selling it. I'd like to help you on your journey 
to becoming more profitable, more sustainable. And I think another thing is, you know, we pick up a farm magazine and, you know, every advertisement's about more yield. You know what I mean? Do this to make more yield. Do that to make more yield. Well, we have to be careful because yield doesn't necessarily make you profitable if you spend every bit of that to make more, right? So what I like to do is talk about being more cost conscious and being lowering your cost of production. So, you know, if you use the latest and greatest of everything, which is fine, and let's just say that your break-even yield on corn is 140 bushels, and you make 150 bushels. Well, you make 10 bushels profit, right? But let's say that you use soil health practices and you cut your fertilizer back and you did this and you did that, and your break-even is 90 bushels, and you made 130. Well, you just made 40 bushels profit. Now, it does sound kind of cool that you made 150 versus 130, but you were more profitable because you had less input. So my goal in the business that we're in is to try to help farmers be more profitable. And whether that's through soil health, using cover crops, maybe we source seed that is at a greatly reduced cost compared to others. However it is, that is my goal because I've been on the other side of the table for 36 years as a farmer. And now that I'm on the the selling side, I want to feel good about everything that we did. You know, it's not just a sale. It is something that we're trying to help a guy be more profitable, you know, reduce his cost. And maybe it doesn't rain. That is the thing that we struggle with in the Southeast. We can put the best fertilizer, the best seed. We can do everything right. And if we get in a dry period, doesn't matter what we do. Our corn crops have been from zero. And I think the best crop I've ever made dry land has been 175 bushels. But I have made zero. And it was just weather related. I can't do anything about the weather. I'm all dry land. But I can manage my inputs. And it's the same thing with all of our customers, trying to help them manage inputs, trying to make them maybe more resilient. Cover crops do that. They buy you a little bit of time in that dry season. Now, eventually, when it gets dry, dry, and it doesn't rain for a long time, even cover crops are going to give up. But uh, it does prolong it a little bit. We're almost out of time. What else to mention that I haven't asked about or any other interesting points? I think we've touched on most of it. Again, I think the whole thing about cover crops If I could offer any word of advice to anyone, find somebody that will talk to you about your operation, what your goals are, what kind of biomass you can handle, what is your your rotation. Find someone that will work with you to design something specifically for you, and you're going to have a much better chance of being successful. The other thing I'd encourage you to do is to take a field somewhere off the highway that you're not worried about someone seeing. Reduce your fertilizer. Try something radical and see what happens. We've done some radical things and it is amazing. We actually did one of our test trials was putting zero nitrogen to corn. It looked absolutely horrific and we still made 100 bushels. Who would have ever thought you could make 100 bushels of corn with absolutely no nitrogen? So again, that was just something we tried. It was a very small plot. I've got more things that I could share with you, but I know we're limited on time. But again, try some things. You may be shocked at what you can get away with versus what we've always done. Just because we've always done it doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. That's one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn. Buzz has helped me. Carl, why do you do this? Well, well, that's what we've always done. And we start to question some of those things. And we've learned that we can do with a whole lot less than we thought we could, which lowers our inputs, lowers our cost of production, 
and makes us more profitable in, in, in years that we don't get, get good weather. And healthier for the environment. Listen, you're doing the right thing and it's helping us. And we're doing the good thing for the environment. And, you know, it's a win-win, no doubt about it. Check. And that is a perfect place to wrap up the show here today. I want to thank my guests for joining me, National Association of Conservation Districts Soil Health Champion, Carl Coleman from Dillon, South Carolina. And thank you to everyone for listening here today. For Successful Farming, I'm Lori Boyer.